This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg After this whole introduction explaining that when you have ten Jews together you have the transcendent level of Hashem, the infinite, this intense revelation of the Shekhinah. So he says, therefore, it is um, evil in my eyes, a conduct that takes place under the sun in general. In other words, those who don't appreciate the time of prayer. It's not just for those who prayer is just halachic obligation. It's just an, uh, or another law another rule, and they don't appreciate that prayer is really the soul of, of Yiddishkeit. That's in general. And, as, and even amongst those who do, he says, our brethren and our friends who make the proper preparations for prayer, appreciate what prayer is. But the problem is they remain with the preparation. They don't never get to the prayer itself. He says it's that after the prayer, before, it becomes a company of scoffers. As the Mishnah says, two Jews who get together and they don't learn Torah, it becomes like a, a, uh, a company of scoffers. So if that's true, when you just have two Jews together who are wasting the time and not studying Torah, they're considered scoffers. Imagine you have ten Jews sitting together. And you have this intense revelation of godliness, just by the mere presence, the mere fact that the ten Jews are together and they're not studying Torah, this pushes away Hashem. If, when a Jew sins in secret, you repulse the feet of the Shekhinah, when you have ten Jews together, when you have the Shekhinah itself, the entire Shekhinah, if you're not studying Torah, you're repulsing the entire Shekhinah. So Hashem is present. You can't help it. He's like bound. He's like in shackles. He's in handcuffs. You handcuffed him. You brought him. You arrested him. He's there. You have ten Jews. He's there. But because you're not studying Torah, you're shaming him. To add insult to injury, you're shaming him. So it says, woe to he who repulses the Shekhinah. And this is one of the three things that holds back that it's the reason for detaining us in exile. Why the Jewish people, why the exile is so extended because they repulse the Shekhinah, because they shame the Shekhinah. So when you have ten Jews together and they're not studying Torah together, they're just wasting their time, you're shaming the Shekhinah. And therefore, now is the call for action. Therefore, my beloved ones. Therefore, my beloved ones, my brethren and friends, do not commit this great evil of turning a gathering of worshippers before or after prayer into a company of scoffers. And give glory unto the Lord your God before it grows dark, 
between Mincha and Marv every weekday. The reason he doesn't say Shachris, he says, because you don't need Alter Rebbe to write a letter. It says clearly in the Code of Jewish Law, you're not allowed to engage in anything before Shachris. Not even say hello. It's questionable. You're not even greet someone before you greet Hashem. So you can't do any business. You can't do any work. You're not, some question is, could you study? Could you... First order of the day is you pray to Hashem. So you're not, no one is gathering before Shachris to have discussions, to discuss politics, discuss the stock market. After Shachris, again, it's in the code of Jewish law. Right after davening, what's the first thing you have to do? From Beis HaKnethes, you have to go to the Beis HaMedesh, the house of learning. You have to immediately learn and study, connect the prayer to learning. So again, you don't need this letter. This letter is for between Mincha and Mayrif. Mincha and Mayrif, there's a time, there's a gap. There's a gap. So, unfortunately, the Alter Rebbe noticed that in many places, this becomes a time for just sitting around and doing nothing, for empty talk. By studying in groups of at least 10, the innermost, the mystical dimension of the Torah, the Agata, contained in Ein Yaakov. For most of the secrets of the Torah are concealed in it. Moreover, it atones man's sins. As explained in the writings of R. Isaac Luria of Blessed Memory, and to the revealed non-mystical passages in the Agata, these are the ways of Hashem in which a man ought to walk. And they enable him to take counsel in his soul in heavenly matters such as Torah and Mitzvah, in the worldly matters, that, as is known to all the wise of heart. Where is the Agadah located? Where do we find the Agadah? A huge part of the Talmud is Agadah. Agadah is Agadic. Agadic, uh, the Medrash. It's like part of the Talmud. Um, there's the law, when the Talmud discusses the law, right and wrong, guilty, not guilty, obligated, not obligated, pure, impure. But then you have the discussions of Agadah. Um, the stories in the Talmud, things that are not directly related to law, but the stories, and he says that Agadah, most of the secrets, most of the secrets of the Torah are hidden in these stories in the Talmud. They're not just nice stories, but they contain very powerful lessons, and very inspiring lessons. The Talmud tells the stories of the rabbis and tells us all different types of stories and explanations and the Torah, Agadic explanations, Midrashic explanations. You, there are many books. We have a whole book, Ein Yaakov, that just takes all the Haggadahs of the Chazal, of the rabbis, and made a book of it with commentaries, explanations. It's been translated into English as well. You have, uh, you have uh, books and books taking out these parts of the Talmud. It's actually our favorite, uh, favorite reading material because it's fascinating stories and lessons and moral lessons and uh, the stories that really happened and explaining many stories in the Torah. You know, the Torah was given, written, the written Torah was given, accompanied by the oral Torah, which fills in all the gaps. So uh, read it, you'll learn it. He's, explain, he's encouraging here that they should be learned between Mincha and Mairev. Is a time when to study the Agada. Agada in Hebrew also means Agada, like to tie, to connect. Because it ties a Jew to Hashem, connects a Jew to Hashem. It goes straight to your heart, it goes straight to your soul, it's, it's inspiring, it's uplifting, it touches you, it connects you with Hashem. It forgives a person on his sins. Alter Rebbe writes that a person, a simple person, doesn't have the head, doesn't have the time to study Torah, should read um, 
the Zohar, read other things, even though he doesn't really understand it, but nevertheless, it's very uplifting and very inspiring. And um, so when you read the secrets of the Torah, it tickles your soul, it, 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 it touches your soul. It, it, because these are words, holy words, that really uh, inspire and move us, and even though not, we don't fully understand the secrets, he says they're hidden in them, they're concealed in them. You know, but, but they just move us in a very, very deep and very profound way. And even on the simple level, on the revealed level, it teaches us how to live, it tells us right from wrong, it tells us stories, it gives us a device, practical advice, advice relationships, advice in life. So as known to all the wise of the heart. You know, that's the part of the Talmud that talks to the heart. The law talks to the mind and the uh, Agada talks to the heart. And um, a huge part of the Talmud is dedicated to Agada and it's integrated together with the regular Talmud. It's part of the Talmud. So the Rebbe suggests that instead of sitting around and talking and just doing nothing or just wasting time and insulting Hashem and use this opportunity to study something together that everyone could join in, everyone could participate, which is the Haggadah. Because it's not the, it's not the deep discussion of the Allah and the Talmud, which is not, not everyone could follow. This is for everyone. Everyone could follow everyone on their own level, everyone can take something from it, everyone can learn something from it and be inspired by it. So that's one, one thing they should learn, one of the subjects, another subject they should learn. In addition, between Mincha and Mar, people should study a little out of the Shulchan Aruch in the section called Orachayim, the laws that are essential for every person to know. So that should be a priority. Priority number one is Yiddishkeit is a call for action. It's an activist way of life. So first, got to know what to do. All the learning and all the studying, the first priority of business is the code of Jewish law. Today, we have a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, an abbreviated version of the code of Jewish law. But that's the first thing you have to learn. You have to know what to do. All that inspiration, all that learning has to be channeled into practical. So if I don't know practically what I'm doing, what I should be doing, what's expected of me, and I'm not even on first base. All the philosophy in the world and all the mysticism in the world and all the Talmud in the world, unless it leads to action, unless it, it leads to the correct action, then, then it's missing the whole point. So first he says you have to learn Agada, because that touches the heart, that inspires, that atones. And then the second thing, order of business is, you got to learn halacha. Learn a little every day, a little of the code of Jewish law, practical halacha. Yes, no, I know what's right, I'm doing the right thing, I know what to do, I know what's expected of me, I know exactly what I need to do. So that's very practical. It's the first priority. And then he adds, of this the sages say, Of this our sages, of blessed memory said, Whoever studies Torah laws, Allah, every day is assured of life in the world to come. This refers to clear and definitive rulings that are of powerful relevance as explained in the commentary of Rashi Adlach, that the term halakha refers to final rulings without the surrounding debates and argumentation. When the Gemara says, whoever studies halakha every day is a shorter uh, portion of the world to come, he's singling out halakha doesn't mean the whole controversy and discussion that led you to the conclusion, but it means the conclusion, just the outcome.
just studying the outcome, the conclusion. It's a separate study how you, how you got to the halacha, how you derived the halacha, how you got to this point, so you have to start from the beginning. From the Torah, the written Torah, the oral Torah, the Mishnah, the Gemara, the discussion, and the commentaries, till you come how we came to the final conclusion. It's volumes and volumes and pages and pages and discussions and discussions. Here we're talking about just the essence, the extract, the point, the bottom line. What do I do? Simple instructions. This, that. Yes, no. Do, don't. I have to know what to do. I don't need the philosophy. I don't need the discussion. I need to know bottom line. What do I do? What's correct? What's right? What's wrong? It's the right way of doing it. What's expected of me? Halachas means the definitive ruling. Practical relevance. This is actually explained by Rashi a little earlier in Tractate Megillah. Not on the teaching about whoever studies halacha, but in connection with a eulogy for someone who used to study halacha. Tractate Nida commenting on this teaching, Rashi states that the term halacha, Mishnayat, Reza, and halacha, none of which include the discussions of the Gemara. So this uh, passage is mentioned a few times. It's mentioned in Megillah, and it's mentioned in the Tractate Nida. So in the Tractate Megillah, Rashi elsewhere in the Tractate Megillah explains halachas. The other Gemara says a eulogy they gave to someone who spent his time studying halachas. So Rashi says halachas means just the bottom line. He knew his whole study, his whole focus was on the bottom line, the halacha, the action. Then, when in the same uh, quote in the Tractate Nidr, Rashi says halachas refers to the Mishnah which comparison to the Talmud, the Gemara, is like halacha, because the Mishnah is very brief. The Mishnah just gives us the practical, without the, the, the discussion. So it's very brief. One Mishnah is like one little paragraph, and it has 20 pages of Talmud explaining this one little paragraph. How we got that, how we derived it, what it means, and the discussions, and the arguments, and all the opinions, and the sources, and the implications, and the contradictions, and the clarifications, but the Mishnah is very succinct. It takes that whole thing and distills it, all that discussion, the 20-page discussion, or 10-page, or whatever, however long, and distills it in one, cent- one paragraph, one short paragraph. That's, that's the meaning of halacha, and the, or the b'raisa, which is also very brief and succinct, and then halacha l'mayshem esine, which is a law that was transmitted from Moses at Sinai. So again, it's a very succinct, very brief, so that's what halacha refers to. So when it says that if you learn halachas, you merit a share in the world to come, is we're referring very specifically to a type of learning. A learning halachas, practical laws that apply to real life. And whoever studies halacha every day is assured a share in the world to come because that is the first priority. When you study Torah, there's many parts of the Torah. The first priority, the number one priority is halacha. You have to know right from wrong. If you don't know, if you don't study, you simply don't know. Very simple. So uh, if you study, uh, let's say, Homish with Rashi... That's not halacha. So then you're not assured... No. Your mother says one thing, and one thing only. If you study halachas every day, you're sure, because it means you're taking the Chumash and Rashi seriously. It's all about living a Jewish life. 
Torah is about life. So Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, translates all that Torah into real life. But if I don't know the code of Jewish law, you're not learning, you're not practicing, you're not observing, you're not doing, it doesn't mean anything. All the love and the philosophy in the world doesn't mean anything. Unless it leads to real life, day to day. You have to know what to do. What's expected of me? It's very concrete, it's very specific, it's very detailed, and it's very real. Do this, don't do this. This way, not the other way. Um, so halacha is really the crown of the Torah. That's really the, the essence of the Torah, the application. Because it's not bound, it's not limited to the mind. The part of the Torah that engages your mind, engages your mind. It's one part of you. It's compartmentalized. When the Torah is no longer compartmentalized to your mind, and it reaches into your actions, that means that the Torah is alive, that it's not compartmentalized, it's fully engaging, and you are fully engaged. So that's called the crown of the Torah. That's the essence of it. That's the most important. That's the thing that guarantees you a share in the world to come. So that's why he puts it as priority number one. First, you've got to learn the laws. You have to know what to do, what's expected of you, our obligations. These are our orders. When you're in the army, the bottom line is you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what, what, what's expected of you. These are the these are the orders for the day. I have to know what, what my orders are for the day. This is what you have to do today, and very specific and very detailed. The philosophy that will come later, just like the Jewish people, they receive the Torah. Today's Rosh Chodesh Sivan. You're going to receive the Torah Sunday, and the first thing the Jewish people said is, Nasa, we will do, and then we will listen. First you got to do. First you got to obey. You got to follow orders. And then comes the understanding and the learning and what's behind it, and where do we derive it from, etc., etc. But the foundation, the first order of business is, you got to do. And you can't make it a precondition. I'm only going to do it after I designate six months to study. And it makes sense to me. And I fully appreciate it. And it fits in with my schedule. And it fits in with my agenda. And it's a fit. And I like it. And it's good. Then I'm here. Otherwise, I'm out of here. So that's new age. That's not Judaism. <laughs> that's, not, that's not real. That's not life. That's, that's not reality. Reality is, I'm here. Hineini, I'm ready. I'm here. Whatever you need to be done, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm doing it. I'm. And then, and the more you do, the more you'll understand. It'll be easier to understand. Try explaining someone what the spaghetti tastes like. Someone who's never eaten it. You'll eat it. Then I'll talk to you. I'll explain to you. You have to, you have to experience it. You have to do it. Judaism is experience. You do it. Live it. You'll do it, and you'll live it. That alone will bring the understanding. That alone will help you with the understanding. If you can't make understanding a precondition, you know, when I study it fully and in depth, and it's like when the doctor, you go to the doctor and he gives you an aspirin, he gives you a pill, and I can tell the doctor, wait a minute, you think I'm a fool? I want to take a medicine, poison. It's going to harm me. 
First, let me enroll in medical school for six years or eight years, however long it takes. Once I understand the whole process and I understand what's going on, I understand what you're, then I'll take it. <laughs> you won't be around them, but that's, but that's, you know, that doesn't work like that. Real life doesn't work like that. So why is Judaism any different? You think all those who fly in a plane understand how the plane flies? That would be a precondition to flying in a plane, because otherwise, why, which sane person would risk his life, <laughs> fly in the air, and not worry you're going to come crashing, crashing down, tumbling down? How does a plane fly? How is it possible? First, let me go to school. and Let me learn and understand how it works. I mean, if that was a precondition to anything in life, nothing would get done. 95% to 99% of life we take on faith. Plane flies, we don't question. We may be curious. Someone who has a brain is interested and curious. I mean, you have time. You'll, you'll learn, you'll study, you'll figure it out. But it's not a precondition. Oh, I'm not going to use a computer until it makes sense, until I understand how it works. Until, you know, a fax machine, a laser. I'm not going to, until it makes sense and I understand it. And, I mean, that's not the way life works. First, you got to do. And you take it on faith. Trust. So you got to learn the laws, live, experience. And then comes the understanding, the depth and the, the full body of knowledge, which is an obligation. We're obligated to study Talmud. We're obligated to go deeper and to understand and to understand fully and to embrace and to learn the whole thing from beginning, middle to end. It's part of our obligation. But the first order of businesses you got to do you got to do means within the Torah itself. you got to learn the practical laws. i got to know what to do. Learn the code of Jewish law. When you wake up in the morning, you do this. You pray this. Whatever you have to do, this is the order of the day, the agenda of the day. I know what to do and what's expected of me. What my duties are, what my obligations are. What my responsibilities are. And then will come the understanding and the rest. This is the first order of business. So first he says you got to learn... Agod, because Agod is the inspiration. You know, a person has to have a heart. If your heart is not into it, there's no connection, then, then it's all dry. There's no, there's no feeling for the whole thing. There's no feeling for Yiddishkeit. If Yiddishkeit to you is like paying income taxes, it's a burden, it's an obligation, you just do the bare minimum, and, and it's a yoke, and, and it's not going to, it's, it's not happening. You know, it's not... First thing, there has to be the love, and you have to connect with it, and you have to be inspired. You have to have the energy. Yiddish guy takes a lot of energy. If you're not energized, and you're not inspired, and you're not enthusiastic, and you're not in love, and you're not passionate about it, and joyful, the whole thing is going to peter out. It's not real. So the first thing, you've got to ignite the spark. You have to have a fire. Light the fire. First thing, Nalta Rebbe says, you've got to learn Agoda. We got to learn the parts of the Talmud that really talk to our heart, talk to our soul, inspires us. Then, first order of business, you got to learn halacha. You have to know, learn a little every day. You can absorb it, something practical, something you learned you didn't know yesterday, and then and then the next day you acquire and accumulate uh, another piece of information, and which you can immediately apply in real life. That's the first order of business. And then he says, on the holy Shabbat. Moreover, toward the time of Mecha, 
people should occupy themselves with the laws of the Sabbath. For the law of Sabbath is a weighty law with many details to be mastered. That's one of the reasons the rabbi made so many fences and gates. He shouldn't even come close to, God forbid, desecrating Shabbos and violating a uh, biblical prohibition which comes with the, with, with the worst penalty. You'll lose your life. But then there are certain things in Shabbos which you can't protect. You, there's no protection. For example, the seventh of the 39 categories of work is you're not allowed to separate the, um, the bad from the good. You're not allowed to separate the, uh, the food from the, if you have food mixed with um, the part that you want to separate, you're not allowed to separate the bad from the good. You have to take the good from the bad. And that's something that happens every day in your table, sitting at your table without even realizing, without even knowing, you could be violating this prohibition, which comes with a death sentence. And you don't even realize, uh, you know, am I taking the fish from the bones or the bones from the fish? Or, you know, you don't even realize what you're doing. And just because of lack of knowledge, because of lack of study, and there's no way to protect it. You can't make any fences. All the other categories of work, the rabbis made so many fences that by the time you get close to approaching uh, the violation of the of a actual biblical prohibition, there's so many fences that it's going to protect you. But here, there's no protection. In one split second, you make one wrong move. There's a fly in the soup. You just take the fly out. You just violated the laws of Shabbos, which comes with stoning. Because I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what the right way, the right procedure is. So you have to learn, you have to study. Without learning, without studying, this is, this is a serious business. Shabbos is so many details, so many laws and rules. 39 categories of work with each of these categories as 39 offshoots. And you know, if you don't know, you don't even realize how easy it is. Because Shabbos is like a, a beautiful uh, symphony that's made up of, imagine a symphony made up of hundreds of instruments. And when everyone plays precisely, exactly the way they're supposed to, it makes the most heavenly music. But if you have the, the one sitting in the organ is playing a little off, and the one on the violin is a little off, and this one's a little off, it ruins and destroys the whole, the whole thing. Shabbos is a beautiful tapestry, but the smallest thing, and it, messes up the whole thing. So you have to be so careful. And only when you keep Shabbos, you start appreciating it. You know, you start hearing the music. It's when all these details together that adds up and makes this beautiful, beautiful experience, holy experience, sacred experience called Shabbos. But all these details are very important. You can't keep Shabbos otherwise. So you have to learn. And here he's addressing even those who study Torah but Shabbos is so involved so intricate it's a huge tractate a huge part of the code of Jewish law just dedicated to Shabbos because there's so much to discuss there's so many, so many details so, much, so many aspects of Shabbos how to keep it properly you simply have to learn there's no shortcuts you have to learn you have to know you have to learn it so it's important every Shabbos to spend a little time, this time with the Mincha and is discussing, spend a little time towards the time of Mincha.
What's Maybe so? he's not saying with him mincha maida because officially you have to eat shalashudas between. So he says before mincha, make a shear of learning the laws of Shabbos. A person can easily stumble and have a full offend, even under prohibition, punishable by extirpation or stoning, because of ignorance of these laws and an unwitting error in observance through the insufficient study is accounted as an intentional transgression, heaven for offend. Just like in the, in legal in the, in the American law. In civil law, yeah, you can't argue. You no can't argue. Ignorance is no excuse. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> Sorry, you're an intelligent person. You read, follow. You don't read what's going on. It's not. It's not an excuse. They'll throw it out of court. I didn't know. I meant well. It's very nice. But you should have known. You should make it your responsibility to know. So a person can't argue and say, "Well, I didn't know. I didn't have a study." So study. No, make it your business to know. If it's important, if it was given, this is a, a, a halacha that's relevant to every Jew in the world. So every Jew in the world has an obligation to, dis- to learn it and to know it and to find out and to ask. Ignorance is not an excuse. So the answer is to remove the ignorance. Every Shabbos is a reassure learning the laws of Shabbos. A little at a time goes without saying that the same applies to the rabbinic injunctions which are ever so numerous and especially so with respect to the prohibitions of muktzah that occur frequently. Muktzah takes up so much space in the laws of Shabbos and discussion of Shabbos and all different types of muktzah. Muktzah is something that the rabbis prohibited. It's a purely rabbinic prohibition. Things that biblically is okay but the rabbis say you're not allowed to move uh, muktza items, um, things that are not ready for Shabbos. Um, and there's all different types of muktzas, things that are um, not utensils, things that are designated for prohibited work on Shabbos, expensive utensils. Um, all different types of muxas, things that you're not prepared to use on Shabbos, with many, many intricate laws, and each of these set of muxas has its own set of rules and laws. And, and so all of this is rabbinic, but there's so many, so many details, and it happens all the time. You can't avoid it. You see, Shabbos is not an option. A person can get overwhelmed. There's so much on Shabbos, maybe I should just tie myself to a bed. <laughs> <laughs> 26 wow. hours and, and I guess I'll avoid all, all problems the problem is you're already violated and desecrated Shabbos Shabbos is supposed to be a day of pleasure it's not a day of imprisonment you can't imprison yourself then uh, you violated Shabbos so that's not an option the option is you gotta learn you gotta know know what to do and every every way you can stumble you know there's, there's, you can't avoid it there's a muktza question here a muktza question there can I can they move this? Can't they move this? Can I use it? Can I use it? What's permitted? What's not permitted? I mean, there's so many laws. You know, he says, do one law at a time. Don't be overwhelmed. Sometimes it gets so overwhelming, there's so much. That's not the right approach. If you had to think now, if you had to imagine now, all the meals you're going to eat for the rest of your life, <laughs> just imagine this huge pile of food. You would be so overwhelmed, you couldn't, you couldn't, you would be paralyzed. Thank God we take one day at a time, one meal at a time, one bite at a time. We don't think about, 
you know, that's not the way. We have to take everything in little bites. Same thing, you can't get overwhelmed. You're going to start, you're going to start, uh, you'll faint. Oh, there's so many laws. How will I ever learn it? There's a whole tractate of Shabbos. So many paragraphs and, and, and chapters in the code of Jewish law and so much discussion. You know, Maimonides has 30 chapters in the laws of Shabbos. I mean, who can, it's, it's overwhelming. And they're complex and involved. I mean, I'll quit while I'm behind them. <laughs> it's, it's just overwhelming. It's not the way we approach life. This is every day you learn one halach, a little. You know what? Every day passes. So God will forgive us for the ones that we don't do. No, because He can't do it any other way. Hashem doesn't expect you to do the impossible. But you know, the Talmud says, every day adds up. Before you know it, the people who are becoming rich are going at it every day. Most of them, it's not this huge dramatic breakthrough that they have. It's every day they're accumulating. They're not losing money. Every day they're making a more and a little more and a little more and a little more. And before you know it, a day goes by, a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, a decade goes by, and they're growing richer and richer and richer. That's how most people get rich. Daily bites, a little at a time. And that's how we also grow rich in knowledge. Instead of only the fool gets so overwhelmed at the outset and he says, oh, forget it. I just can't do this. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. The wise one, listen, the day is going to pass. Anyway, so let me take that day. Let me take a little. A little soundbite, a little law, one paragraph I can learn, I can digest, and I can acquire and accumulate. Next day, I'm going to build on yesterday's success. I'm going to learn another little and another little. If every Shabbos you learn the laws of Shabbos, a little every Shabbos, before you know it, you turn around and you've accumulated quite a nice little, nice little uh, tidy sum, a nice little uh, treasure. You've accumulated a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, and knowledge builds on itself. You know, once you acquire knowledge, you have it. It's here. It's part of you. It becomes part of your blood. And then knowledge helps you with all the future knowledge and everything you ever learned in the past. Every bit of knowledge that you learn enhances and helps you with everything that you learned till now, helps you understand it even better. So the next day you build on that and it keeps on building and accumulating. And so this is the way that Al-Tarebi is suggesting. He says, let's, let's do this wisely. A little before Mincha, take a little time, learn a few halachas, do what you can do, but do it. This is a very practical program. He said, don't waste your time. Ten Jews are sitting together. Don't, don't just waste your time. Use the opportunity to learn together. Study this together. He's suggesting that this should be done in public. It's not just speaking to the individual. He's saying that the community together, the minion together should study the laws of Shabbos. The minion together should study the laws of, during the week, the laws of Shulchan Aruch. The minion together should study Ein Yaakov. And infringements of the words of the Sofrim, that is the rabbinic injunctions, are more serious than infringements of the words of the Torah. As our sages of blessed memory said, whoever transgresses the words of the sages, even a minor prohibition of theirs, as for instance, he who eats before the evening prayer and the like, is liable to the death penalty, just like one who transgresses grave prohibitions explicit in the Torah. He's saying 
that it means literally. Some say that when the Talmud, the Talmud doesn't mean it literally. The Talmud just means it's like it's like a hyperbole. That the words of the rabbis are so important, like the strict rules of the Torah, the most strictest rules in the Torah, which comes with a death penalty. But here he says, no, it means literally. Because Hashem finds the word of the rabbis even more precious than his own words. And if a person discards and treats lightly the word of the rabbis, the consequences are the most severe. Hashem doesn't treat it lightly. You've insulted my rabbis, you've insulted the oral Torah. Hashem says, my words, I'll forgive you, unless it's a very uh, severe sin. But if you violate the words of the rabbis, of the Talmudic rabbis, Hashem says, no, there's no, there's no forgiveness there. There Hashem says, this, the severest consequence. Because hey, that's the foundation of the Torah, the oral tradition. And also, it's the ultimate expression of our love for Hashem. The rabbis made all these safeguards to protect the Torah. So it's out of our love for Hashem that we're safeguarding the Torah. That's why Hashem finds it so sweet and so... Because the rabbis understood the spirit of the law, not just the law itself, understood the whole spirit behind the law and what Hashem really is hinting at, what Hashem really wants and desires, and they paint us the whole picture. So a person who treats that lightly and doesn't appreciate that, it comes with the severest of consequences. So therefore, you have to be so careful. You have to know these laws. You have to know these rules. Ignorance is not an excuse. At any rate, since we see from the above that it is vital that one study and know the laws of the Shabbos, they should be studied in public as the time for Minha draws near. And let no individual separate himself from the congregation when they are studying. In Yekov, Shulchan, Aruch, and the like, even in order to study something else. This individual may think, you know, this, these are basic stuff, elementary stuff, and Yaka, this is something that simple Jews learn. Uh, the kids of Shulchan Aruch, or the laws, uh, he's already familiar with the laws. The laws of Shabbos, he knows the laws of Shabbos. So why should I sit with this group and participate in this group study when I can sit alone and delve deeply on my own level. I would rather learn alone. Some people enjoy their own company. <laughs> prefer their own company <laughs> over others. <laughs> so why should I sit in this, with this annoying group and, uh, and not sit alone and quietly? And the shuls could be like a library. Everyone is lost in their own books, in their own thoughts, in their own studies. It's enough we're sitting in the room together. Not so bad. We're not wasting our time. We're not, uh, you know, we're not shooting the breeze. We're, everyone, everyone in the room is learning, privately and individually. But here, the Alter Rebbe is saying the importance of ten Jews learning together. Because since Hashem's presence is found wherever there are ten Jews, yes, ten Jews in the room, Hashem is present. But when you do a mitzvah under those circumstances together, when you study Torah together, it's so much more powerful then that presence of Hashem is internalized and, and, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's in a whole different level. So that's why he's encouraging 
even the individual who doesn't need, an individual needs encouragement because he doesn't need the group. He's very happily learning himself. He prefers learning by himself. Maybe it's easier for him to learn when he's learning himself. And Alter Rebbe wrote this whole powerful letter to help this Jew realize what happens when you study, when 10 Jews study together. Because no matter what depth you'll accomplish when you're learning on your own, you're one individual. You're one individual. You're just a fragment. Whatever you can accomplish is limited. It's limited to whatever your soul could receive, which is finite and limited. But when 10 Jews study together, you're drawing down the infinite. You're drawing down Hashem Himself. And therefore, it's a whole different level. Learning is on a whole different level. The penetration into your soul is on a whole different level. The effect of your soul, of having the Shekhinah itself, internalizing that experience, how could you compare? Learning alone, or learning with 10 Jews together? So he's lighting a fire on us. He helps you realize, appreciate what happens when ten Jews are learning together. How much more powerful it is than if you're learning alone. The question is if that's true of the internet also. You have Jews all over the world learning together. It's considered they're learning together. In the class, physically, you only have a few people together. But because of the internet, you can have tens of thousands of people. Have a virtual minion. So the internet would count? For a minion? No. <laughs> you should be so lucky. <laughs> Everyone should stay at home. We'll just, we'll just have a conference. The shul will be empty. We'll just have a conference. <laughs> so you're going to pray all day and you're going to do all of this. When do you go to work? This is a very realistic program. He's saying between Mincha and Mayra, learn a few halachas. He's not, he's not, this is not an impossible program. He's not asking you to spend 24-7 in the shul. Saying you're in a shul right after davening, instead of wasting your time and talking politics or talking nonsense or talking business, do something together. Learn something together. Learn Ein Yaakov together. Learn Halachas together. Learn together. That's what he's asking. Very, very practical. It's very practical, very realistic. He's not asking pie in the sky. It's very simple. And a person may think it's too simple. I should sit with this group of people and learn such simple things like Ayn Yaakov and, and uh, simple halachas, basic halachas, and the laws of Shabbos. I mean, I can spend my time much more efficiently learning by myself. And he says, no, learn together. There's a group learning together. Join in, participate. You'll get a lot more out of the learning in the group than you will learning by yourself. There's a powerful energy. There's a group energy. It's a powerful energy. It's a minion. It's Hashem. An angel, a malach, couldn't, couldn't uh, be present because it's so intense. And you have that level of revelation, an intense level of revelation, and you're walking away from it? You'd rather spend learning by yourself instead of having this intense revelation? And receiving this intense revelation by learning Torah together, you receive that intense revelation in an eternal way. You're going to walk away from that. That means you don't appreciate, you don't understand what's going on here. What's the point of learning Torah ultimately is to connect with Hashem. 
Is there more powerful connection with Hashem than ten Jews learning Torahs together, studying Torah together? That's the most powerful connection you can have with Hashem. You're walking away from that, oh, I want to learn Torah by myself. What's this Torah you're learning? It's an intellectual exercise. You're playing chess with yourself. You're studying math or science or physics. You're connecting with Hashem. Is there a more intense connection with Hashem? You can get, there's nothing in the world, there's nothing in the universe that can compare with this intense connection with Hashem you have when ten Jews studying the same thing together. Run. I have to schlep you to come to this group. Run to this group. Joyfully participate. Make that connection. So without this introduction... There's no way in the world that the individual is running and leaving his own personal study to go study with a group of ten Jews, Ayin Yaakov, and basic halachas, basic laws, and on Shabbos, the basic laws of Shabbos. He's talking to a deep scholar. He knows all these laws. Ayin Yaakov, he knows, he learned it. He's more interested in delving deeply into the discussion behind the halachas. And here the Alter Rebbe is encouraging him. For the short time at the group, it's not a long time. You'll have plenty of time to learn all night and all day in your house. But the short time at the shul, the group is sitting in the shul and learning. Appreciate. This is an opportunity. This is an upgrade. Whatever you're going to accomplish learning on your own is nothing in comparison to this intense experience you're going to have when you're studying Ten Jews are studying Torah together. So how could he even compare? I mean, it's revolutionary. Without the Alter Rebbe, without this whole introduction, you would never in a million years even suspect the power and the force and what's, what really happens when ten Jews study Torah together or do a mitzvah together. Alter Rebbe opens our eyes. You know, we're looking, we look at this world. When you study Tanya, you look at the world with different glasses. You see a different reality. It's like a different, uh, you know. Alter Rebbe helps us see the real world. It's a different world. It's completely counterintuitive. We would never in a million years come to this realization or conclusion. But that's the nature of Torah. It's the nature of truth. It's a revelation. That's why it's called revelation. It's counterintuitive. It's a startling revelation. But this is the MS. This is the truth. This is the way it is. This is reality. So once you know this reality, the Rebbe says, then make sure that the individual don't separate yourself. Even if you want to learn something else, even if you're, going to, you're ready, you want to learn something else, you want to go deeper, and says you should sit down with everyone else, participate, whatever the congregation is doing, join with them. You're studying Ein Yaakov. You're a brilliant scholar. I'm going to study Ein Yaakov. Yeah, study Ein Yaakov. Sit there and study Ein Yaakov. It'll do you good. Halachas, whatever they're learning, join it. It goes without saying that one should not leave if there are not ten without you. Here he's talking about even if there is ten without you. Even if there is ten without you, if you appreciate what's going on and what's happening with these ten... And you can connect with Hashem in the most intense way possible. Uh, I don't care if there's 10 or there's 20 or there's 100. I'm there. But if, this is, if you are the 10th 
And by you walking away, you're going to leave them. That they're going to be left with nine. You're robbing them and taking away this powerful, intense revelation which only comes when you have the magical number of ten. When you have a quorum, you have a minion. Oy, 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 that's the worst. How could you do that? How could you be so heartless? How could you be so cruel? What kind of monster are you? How could you do this to them? You're depriving them of a minion? Of this intense revelation of Hashem? Because you want to sit and learn and study on your own? To him who does leave, I apply the verse, and those who forsake Hashem, who forsake the study of his Torah, shall be consumed. As our sages of blessed memory have said, with respect to every sacred matter. So there, the Talmud is discussing a minion that gathers together to daven. And only when there's a minion, you can say Hashem's name. And if you walk away and you deprive nine Jews from davening together, it's the worst thing in the world. Hashem says, you've abandoned me. And whoever abandons me like that, because here I was present with a minion and you abandoned me, you know, you shall be consumed. If that's true with davening, how much more so that's true with the studying of Torah. Continue. For there is no holiness like the holiness of the Torah, since the Torah and the Holy One, blessed be He, are entirely one. Strictly speaking, our sages applied the above verse, and those who forsake Hashem shall be consumed. Only to a person who is leaving by the congregational recital of a Devar Kusha, a text involving the sanctification of Hashem's name, which cannot be done without a quorum of ten. By contrast, though, the quality of the Torah study is enhanced by a quorum of ten. This is not a prerequisite condition. Nevertheless, the fact remains that there is no holiness like the holiness of Torah. When ten Jews study together, they draw down the most exalted degree of holiness and an intense indwelling of the Shekhinah, as explained above. In this sense, then, an individual whose leaving disrupts the study group of ten may be likened to one whose leaving prevents a minion from reciting Kedusha or the like. So the whole purpose of studying Torah ultimately is to connect with Hashem because Hashem and His Torah are one. It's divine. It's a divine experience. And if that's the whole purpose of studying Torah, there's no more intense connection, there's no greater connection than when ten Jews are studying Torah together. And you deprived, not only you walked away from that opportunity for yourself, but you're depriving nine other Jews by you walking away, depriving them of that opportunity to connect with Hashem in such an intense level, such a powerful way. And you've caused Hashem to, to be removed. So you've abandoned Hashem. So whatever the Talmud says, about someone who leaves a minion, someone walks out of the minion, that's the worst thing in the world. There is a minion in town, in the house, and someone walks out, and they can no longer daven and say Kaddish and do whatever they have to. That's the worst thing. The Talmud uses the worst language on that person. How could you do that? Well, the same applies to ten Jews who are studying Torah together, and one person decides to abandon them, abandon ship. He has better things to do. No, he's, he's not... Wasting his time. He has better things to do. He wants to study Torah alone. That's so terrible. He wants to go, move away to a corner, and then study Torah on his own. 
you've abandoned them. You've broken up the minion. You've removed that intense level of, of, of revelation. Moreover, whoever separates himself from the community will not merit to witness and participate in the community's consolation. The Rebbe concludes, but he who listens to me shall dwell securely, and in his days and in hours Judah shall be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell securely. Right. Amen. May this be his will. This is the verse that the Talmud brings, that he who does participate in the pain of the community will also be consoled, together will witness the consolation of the community. So he's saying that those who do participate in the community, who feel part of the community, who relish, cherish the community, cherish the congregation, cherish the community, even if you may be an individualist and you may be an isolationist and you may be uh, antisocial, introspective, and you thrive on your own, you thrive on your own. You prefer your own company. You love to entertain yourself. You don't find other people so entertaining. You find yourself very entertaining. But you have to cherish and appreciate community. Being part of a minion, being part of ten Jews. Ten Jews gathering together. Every time ten Jews gather together, you have to realize what, what's, how powerful it is, how special it is, how unique it is. Nothing like it exists in the whole universe. Forget about the whole world. Even the angels get together, you don't have that. All the angels together don't add up to what ten Jews add up to. Can you imagine? The Shekhinah itself, Hashem himself, not a fragment. Hashem himself and his infinite transcendent self is manifest and present. It's so transcendent and so infinite we can't even feel it because it's so beyond us. Even subconsciously, we, we, we're not even aware of it. Before the Alter Rebbe revealed this to us, before the Baal Shem Tev and the Magid revealed it to us, that how an angel can't even be in that presence, we, did, we weren't even aware. We're completely oblivious. We're blissfully ignorant. Completely oblivious to the power of that moment, the power of that experience. But that's the reality. So once we know it, we shall learn to appreciate it, cherish it, feel part of it, that we belong and connected to something much larger than all of us put together. We're part of that community. So as great as the individual is, the individual has to participate with the community and has to feel part of it. The greatest Jewish genius in the world, the Ragachava Goyen was known to be a, not only a genius in his day and age, he's probably one of the greatest geniuses of the last few hundred years. The Rebbe received a smicha from him, his ordination from him. As great as he was, as an individual, he would go to shul three times a day and daven with a minion, with nine simple Jews, daven, shachris, mincha, mayur. Because as great as the individual is, we're part of a community. Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi, he says, if one Jew is missing from Mount Sinai, Moses cannot receive the Torah. There's a congregation, there's a community. So on one hand, every individual matters. We have to cherish the individual. The individual is not, doesn't get lost. Every individual is a world. If they save one life, you save the whole world. 
On the other hand, this letter points out the other part of the equation. Every individual has to appreciate the community. We're part of a whole. We're part of something larger than all of us put together. We, have to, we draw strength from it. Paradoxically, the individual draws strength from it. Because when the ten Jews are studying Torah together, each one of us is strengthened by it and receives some of this intense revelation. Internalizes some of this intense revelation. It, 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 it enhances us, it empowers us, it strengthens us. So the whole purpose of Yiddishkeit and studying Torah especially is to connect with holiness. To have that holy experience, to connect with Hashem. There's no greater connection. There's no greater opportunity. Not possible. No individual can do this alone. Then we have ten Jews together. So ten Jews are studying Torah together. Sit down. Have a seat. Bolt your seat. Put on your seat belt. <laughs> Don't run. Don't go. Enjoy. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the experience. Study together. Learn together. And you'll have plenty of time to study alone, individually. But cherish those moments. Run towards those moments. So this uh, definitely changes our whole uh, underlying assumption of how we look at each other. We look at the minion. We look at the group. We look at the community. And uh, it's the perfect uh, preparation for Shavuos, the giving of the Torah. Because usually we talk about a minion, we talk about davening. You can't mention Hashem's name without a minion. But here, quoting the Mishnah and Ethics of Our Fathers, he says the same concept applies, and even more so when it comes to studying Torah. The idea of ten Jews studying Torah together. No one ever made such an emphasis, ten Jews studying Torah together. Okay, Ethics of Our Fathers, but, but here he explains it, and he builds it up, and he explains how powerful it is. You know, in ethics of our fathers, you think 10, 5, 3, 2, 1, you know, it's all relative. But here he's explaining, no, 10 is a whole different level. So when 10 Jews studying Torah together, you can't compare two Jews studying Torah together, one Jew studying Torah by himself, three Jews studying Torah together, even five Jews, or nine Jews. 10 Jews. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.